The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Now, I've talked about TV sitcom pilots a number of times in various episodes, and today I want to get into an aspect that I haven't touched upon yet, and that is consulting for pilots. And what that means is somebody else creates and writes and produces a pilot, and during the week that it is in production, and this is primarily a multi-camera formatted show where it is rehearsed and then a live audience comes in and sees it, but usually during the week of production, the creator will bring in some help because normally he will have a writing staff during the season. But when you have a pilot and it's just him, it really helps sometimes to have some fresh eyes, to have some talented people who can help pitch in with jokes and that sort of thing. And so that is what a consultant does. Usually a consultant is called in for one or two or three days during the production of a pilot. And whenever David and I did not have a pilot of our own, we would offer to go out and help on other pilots. Now, back in the 80s, oh, God, do I miss the 80s. Back then, you were paid handsomely to come in and help out one night a week on a pilot. I mean, they would pay you sometimes five figures to come in and help on a pilot. So it was very lucrative to do four or five pilots over the course of one month. And unless the pilot was really terrible or we knew that the showrunner was a giant asshole, we said, yeah. So we signed up for lots and lots of pilots. So what I thought I would do is share some tales of our days consulting on pilots. I also should mention that after the 80s and 90s and studios started paring down their budgets, instead of paying for entire pilots, they would pay for, quote, unquote, pilot presentations, supposedly just a, a couple of scenes from a pilot. But 
you wound up doing the whole pilot. And at the end of the day, it just meant that you did a full pilot, but at a reduced budget. And so one of the first things to go was the luxury of having consultants. So those jobs dried up. And then what happened is writers would still need some help, so they would ask their colleagues as a favor, would you come in and help out on shows? And, you know, you usually did because if you helped out on their pilots, when you had a pilot, you could call upon them. And you would usually get a a nice gift. The showrunner would get you an iPad mini or uh, silverware. I don't know, you you know, various gifts uh, (laughs) for helping out for that one night, which was very nice, but it's not five-figure salary. Okay, so um, back in the days when we were still getting paid, uh, the 80s, David and I got asked to come in for a night on a pilot by a writer whose name we didn't recognize and a director whose name we didn't recognize. And the producer was Aaron Spelling. Now, Aaron Spelling had never done a half-hour multi-camera sitcom. Aaron Spelling had done a lot of hour shows, things like Charlie's Angels, that sort of thing, and was wildly successful. You should see the house that he built uh, in my neighborhood. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's basically the Hearst Castle times three. So he was doing okay for himself. But we went to watch the run through of this pilot And the writer was a playwright who had never done television before, but she got seduced into trying to take a portion of one of her plays and turn it into a pilot. And then the network said, yeah, but that's not good enough, so we need to add all of these formula elements to take what was a unique idea and unique characters and turn it into something very generic and nothing. Welcome to the world of network television. Okay, so this writer was very green, and I should mention going in that she learned very quickly and in a very short period of time became one of the best TV comedy writers in Hollywood. But this was her first rodeo. And the director, she didn't know any better. She invited one of the directors who worked on her plays to direct the pilot. Now, how she got that person cleared by the network, I don't know. But somebody who had never directed a multi-camera show is directing a pilot for NBC. So we go to the studio for the run-through. It was located on a soundstage at the old Zoetrope Studios in Hollywood. You might remember Zoetrope at one time was the studio that was owned by Francis Ford Coppola. And there was one movie that Coppola did, I think it's called One from the Heart, it was set in Las Vegas. And they did an entire Las Vegas strip in this one soundstage. 
So I don't have to tell you how cavernous this soundstage was. You could put a 747 in one end of it and and lose it. Okay, it was giant. Again, the people doing this show were told, well, you need an audience of about 200 people. So they said, okay. Now, normally that means a bleacher section of seven, eight, nine rows. Well, this was two rows that went from one end of the soundstage to the other. And that basically took care of 200 people. And there were lots of different sets in this pilot, but no more than maybe 30 people at any one time could see any one set. This was also before the days when there was video assist. Nowadays, you go to a TV taping and there are monitors and you could watch what's going on live or you could look up and just watch it on television. And that's very helpful sometimes when a show will have a swing set that maybe is not very visible to the studio audience. Maybe it's tucked away in the corner of the soundstage. And so at least when they do that scene, you can watch it on television. Well, in this case, like I said, people could only see maybe one or two sets So nobody had any idea of what was going on in the show because they would do a scene in front of you and then they would go off and do a scene at the way other end of the soundstage and they'd be gone for like 45 minutes. You're just sitting there and then they come back to you and they do another scene which now is like picking up a novel and opening it to page 311 and starting to read. It like made absolutely no sense. So this is what we encountered when we walked onto that soundstage. Like this is Mars. We have landed on Mars. So now we see the run through and the run through is terrible. Just, just terrible. And partly it is because of everybody's inexperience. But it was so terrible that the network VP who was there to give notes said to the writer, listen, um, we have a relationship with Ken and David, so we're going to give them the notes. And she said, Okay. I mean, she knew that the run-through was a disaster, and she was like, you know, help, help. So we go off into the corner with this network official, and he had one note. He just looked at us and said, whatever you can do, and then walked off. (laughs) So we go back up to the room with this writer, and it's just the three of us just her and me and David. We said, we can do this in one of two ways. Number one, you can just tell us what jokes you want fixed or what trims you want to make, whatever, and we're happy to pitch on those jokes and accommodate you, give you whatever you want. Or we could tear this fucking thing apart and really try to redo it in one night. And she said, let's do that. 
And so that's what we did. And we worked, God, probably till about four o'clock in the morning. That night, it's probably about 1130, 12 o'clock. And we get a call from Aaron Spelling, wants to talk to me and David. So we go off in the other room and we get on the phone. We start talking to Aaron Spelling and he goes, I just got to say, I love you guys. I mean, what you guys are doing is so remarkable. Uh, I, I'm in such awe of, of your talent and your professionalism. I want to make you guys a deal. I want you guys to be working for me. I don't care what you're making. I'm going to pay you more. I'll probably double it. I will send a limo to pick you up at your house every day to take you to the studio. I want to be in business with you guys. And of course, you know, we were very flattered, like, wow, okay. (laughs) Thanks, Aaron. That that sounds great. Uh, The next day, we go to the run-through, and Aaron is there, and we go up and go, Hi, Aaron. And he looks at me and David and goes, do I know you? (laughs) Aaron had a little to drink uh, the night before when he made that gracious offer. Well, needless to say, that pilot never got off the ground. uh, But there were some other crazy pilot situations that we were involved in. Um, One was a flip of the show Third Rock from the Sun. Remember that show, Third Rock from the Sun, which was aliens coming to the U.S., but of course taking human form. John Lithgow was in it and uh, Jane Curtin, French Stewart. Actually, it's a very, very good, very funny show. So this was the flip of that. This was a couple of earthlings go to some planet that is inhabited by various aliens. The script itself was extremely funny, and we were there to help out during the table reading day. Then we went and helped out on the first run-through day. At both times, I mean, the script was in great shape. It was really, really funny. Now, the day we saw the first run-through, nobody was in costume. But again, you just had to kind of imagine it, and the script was terrific, really funny jokes. So I decide to actually go to the taping of this because I had really high hopes for this. I thought, wow, this is, this is really unique and interesting. Oh, my God. The makeup they had everybody sort of look like, remember the, the scene in Star Wars where they go into the cafe and there's all those weird, goofy aliens, you know, with antennas and eyes coming out of their ears and that sort of thing. Well, that's what they did. They made up all of these people in these bizarre costumes. And I'm thinking... Oh, my God, this is H.R. Puffin stuff. Needless to say, that pilot didn't go, and the audience was just gobsmacked. The audience had no idea what to think about this. They were just like, what What the fuck is this? 
Uh, needless to say, that show didn't go. And again, it had a terrific script. And here's the thing I need to point out, that you may have the best script in the world. You may put together the greatest all-star writing staff that television has ever known. And if the casting is wrong, if the premise doesn't hold up, if people are dressed like H.R. Puffin stuff, it ain't going to fly. We did a pilot for a, a show that was set in a diner, and we were having really a tough time rewriting the show because it was really tough to sort of figure out, well, what is this about? What are we writing towards? And I remember must have been close to midnight. I said to the creator, what's episode two of this series? And he goes, there is no episode two. This is never going to get picked up. And and he was right. And I was saying, so what are we killing ourselves? Let's just do a couple of jokes and, and get the hell out of here. Another story during the halcyon days when we were getting paid. There was a pilot for ABC, and it was through ABC Studios. Brandon Stoddard was the head of ABC Studios. And he brought in my partner and I and said, we want you to come for the table reading and for the network run-through. We said, great, okay. And he paid a very handsome sum of money for this. So we go to the table reading, and the table reading is okay, but there is work that needs to be done. And we go back up to the office with the writer-creator, and Brandon says, "Um, well, you guys can go home. And we said, well, what do you mean? I mean, this is... (laughs) This is the part where we actually do something. And he goes, well, we really don't want any rewriting from anybody, but we hired you guys so that you'll be seen by the network during the table reading and the network run-through. You know, just so that we can say, look, we have Levine and Isaacs. I said, but you don't want us to do anything? I mean, we're here. You're paying us this money. We're happy to sit and and pitch on jokes that don't work or any. I mean, we're not taking writing credit for any of this, but we're here. Use us. Nope. Go home. Okay, so we did. And we came back a couple of days later for the network run through and the script had not changed significantly. And it was an okay run-through, not particularly great. But again, we go back to the office and we said to the showrunner, look, we're here, you you got us. And he and Brandon said, nope, nope, don't need you, thanks, you guys did your job. Okay, so now I'm walking to my car with Brandon Stoddard and he goes, boy, you guys really held us up. 
And I said, fuck you. We didn't hold a gun to your head. We said we are here to provide our services. And you're the one saying you don't want them. So don't make it seem like we robbed you. Fuck you. Yeah, so that was the days of getting paid. We worked on a pilot for Ricky Lake. This was a pilot about uh, the behind the scenes at a TV kids show. I think over the years I must have worked on four pilots that had the exact same premise. But in this case, it was for Henry Winkler's company, and Henry's like a really great guy. For some reason, the original writer was gone. Not part of the equation at all. And so Henry put together a staff of, of people. And the director he had chosen was a guy named Hal Cooper. And Hal Cooper had done lots of tape shows. Hal Cooper was pretty much the director of Maud for all of those years. And for those of you who actually know what I'm talking about with, with Maud. But he had a very different style of working, different than we've ever done. And normally what you do is the the cast and the director rehearse all day and then the writers come down and we watch a run through and then we go back and we rewrite whatever needs to be rewritten. And what he liked to do is not have a run through. At the end of the day, he would make the notes and tell us what worked and what didn't work He'd come up to the office and he would give us the notes and then we would work off of that. Now, I was very uncomfortable with that. And I said so to Henry. I said, you know, we're just like landing the plane by radar here. We have to see for ourselves what works and what doesn't work. And he said, this is the way he likes to work. And I'm like, you know, again, okay, not my show. I'm a hired gun, just... Tell me what you want, and that's what I'll do. So after the first run-through, which we don't see, he comes up to the office and says, we're in great shape. We're in fantastic shape. We need a joke here. We need a joke there. This could be a little funnier. We could kind of trim here, blah, 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 but we're in great shape. We went, okay, and we addressed all of the notes, and we were probably out of there by 6.30 at night. And then the next night was the network run-through. And since the network and the studio were allowed to watch it, we, the lowly peasant writers, were also allowed to watch this run-through. It was a fucking train wreck. This run-through is probably worse than the one at Zoetrope. This is like, nothing worked. Nothing worked. It was just a disaster. And we went back up to the office and Henry knew we have one night. That's it. We're not on staff anymore. We have just been hired to do this one night. 
And again, we'll stay up till four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning doing the best job we can on the rewrite, but that's it. What happens tomorrow and the next day ain't our problem. And we had a really good room. I remember we had Fred Rubin, who's a terrific comedy writer, Lloyd Garver, who's a great comedy writer. We had a lot of fun that night and we worked until four or five o'clock in the morning and that was it. And again, I went to the filming just to see it and it was better, but it was never really great. And to be very honest with you, that network run through killed the pilot. I mean, when the network saw that, they just said, okay, let's just walk away from the wreckage. Let me tell you some happy experiences consulting on pilots. A couple of years ago, I helped out on a Carol Burnett pilot, and it was for Amy Poehler's company. And after the table reading, we all went back to the office, and Amy joined us. And she was great. I love Amy Poehler. Now, oftentimes, if a star is the producer, that's her production company, then they pretty much run the room or everything has to be run by that person. Not so in Amy's case. Amy just sat and was just one of the writers in the room. And you could fuck with her, you could joke with her. Uh, She was really, really fun to be with. And I should mention, great in a room. Pitched great jokes, great ideas. I can't say enough great things about Amy Poehler. I helped out on a George Carlin pilot. Sam Simon, the late, great Sam Simon, uh, created it. And George Carlin was up in the room pitching. Now imagine what a dream come true that is, <laughs> to, to be in a room hanging out pitching jokes with George Carlin. That was, that was truly amazing. And most of the time when you go to these things, the pilots are in fairly decent shape. They're not all four in the morning uh, ordeals. So you're there until midnight, one o'clock. You're with a bunch of writers, some you know, and others that the showrunner has uh, assembled from other shows they've worked on. So you get a chance to meet other writers, and it's fun. You know, you, you get dinner and you, you know you pitch jokes, and there's no pressure on you because it's not your pilot. One last thing. David and I had a pilot at Fox about 15 years ago. And for the network run-through, we put together an all-star squad. We had Peter Casey, one of the creators of Frasier, Steve Levitan, one of the creators of Modern Family, Robin Schiff, Bill Steinkellner, who was one of the showrunners of Cheers, Dave Hackle, who was the creator of Becker. This was our writing staff. And the director of comedy at Fox said to one of the writers, you know, 
I should know who all these old people are, but I don't. And the writer said, here's who they are. If each of these writers got their fee for doing this, it would be a million dollars. That's who they are. But again, this was the network director of comedy development did not know who creators of <laughs> Frasier and Modern Family were. Okay. I should also mention that, yes, I worked on a lot of pilots that didn't go. Things for Cheech Marin and uh, Jasmine Guy and uh, Cameron Mannheim. Lots of, lots of people who pilots didn't go for whatever reasons. But I also worked on pilots that did go. It's not like, you know, I'm a, a black widow. Now, some of these shows are no longer around, but they did get on the air, which was the assignment to get the pilot on the air. So anyway, uh, I did work on the pilot of Wings, Frasier, Becker, Just Shoot Me. It's all relative, late line, Pursuit of Happiness, Out of Practice, The George Carlin Show, and Sibs. Probably a couple of others, but I don't remember. So that's this week's Adventure in Pilots. And that will do it for this week. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Bruce and Jason Miller, Howard Hoffman, and John Wolford. If you want to get in touch with me, just write me, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine, Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. If you haven't already, please subscribe. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.